1: have you come to that place of confession in your life you recognize Lord you know I look at what I'm going through right now and I think God I don't deserve this but the truth is Lord I know you don't owe me anything I think it's healthy for all of us to understand that
0: to the God who reigns above.
1: it's probably hard for them to look him in the eyes has your guilt ever been so overwhelming that you would even grow violent towards yourself that's what that word angry there means
0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. We have continued looking at the life of Joseph and his brothers. Last, we saw in Genesis chapter 43 that Joseph had been trying to see if the hearts of his brothers had changed from being envious and selfish to being loving and caring he will give them one more test to ensure that they have truly changed before revealing himself. We join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 44, verse 1.
1: Sometimes we lose a little bit of perspective. You got to remember where Joseph's at. got to remember everything he's gone through. Those things are not just erased overnight. He still doesn't know completely if they've changed. And so he needs to provide them with an opportunity to do what they had done in the past. He needs to provide them with an opportunity to get rid of Benjamin just like they got rid of him because only then, only then will he know his brother will be safe and can he reveal himself and as a result, we can see the beautiful truth of forgiveness. So chapter 44, things are gonna get a little bit tense. Now, they're on their way out and he commanded the steward, verse one of 44, of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, put every man's money in his sack's mouth. So give them their money back, just like last time. And then put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, that would be Benjamin, along with his corn money, his grain money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Now as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up and follow after the men. And when you do overtake them, say unto them, Why have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinks, and whereby indeed he divines? You have done evil in so doing. And so he overtook them, and he spoke unto them these same words. Now, the silver cup there would be a large goblet or even maybe a a bowl, one of those kind of large bowls. Maybe you might see like some sinks are kind of carved after these days. Um, it was of common practice for Egyptians to gaze into a bowl or a cup. And they'd, they'd fill it with water and then they'd put vegetable oil on top or they'd put rocks inside and then the minerals would coalesce with the water. And as, as the oil or those minerals would coalesce into shapes, they would then predict the future. They'd look in there and they'd say, oh, the cubs are going to lose again. Don't bet on them. So, Although I don't think that's that tricky of a bet. <laughs> I can't imagine Joseph actually engaging in these Egyptian superstitions. It's more likely it was explained this way to show the seriousness of the crime, that you would take a very important man's divining bowl. Uh The key point, though, is that they're all accused. He He hits them all with it. The guy shows up and he's like, why would you do this thing? My master treated you well, and you're going to take his special cup that he uses to divine? Why would you do these things? Well, the brothers, of course, are incredulous. Verse seven, they said unto him, Why, wherefore says my Lord, these, why would you accuse us of this? God forbid that your servants should do according to this thing. Behold, don't you remember the money which we found in our sacks' mouths? We brought it back to you again out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of our Lord, out of your Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of your servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. You know, in their mind, they had to feel like beyond all hope, everything had worked out. Their innocence had been vindicated. They weren't spies. They returned the money. They showed themselves to be true men. And thus they explained the absurdity of the accusation. They had proved themselves to be honest in their doings. Why would they steal something now of all times? And so the steward says, okay, all right. Now also let it be according unto your words. I won't bust everybody. He with whom it is found shall be my servant. And the rest of you? You can go on home. Now, whose sack is it in? It's in Benjamin's. Joseph steward seems to be a bit in on Joseph's plan here because he revises his accusation based on their profession of innocence. And in doing so, he sets the stage for them to have their opportunity to jettison Benjamin. Verse 11. Well, then they speedily took down every man's sack. I mean, these guys are, we did not take the stuff. And, you know, they take their, they're speedily taking their sacks down. They are really offended that, that anyone would assume this of them. And they opened every man's sack. And he came and he searched, and he began at the oldest, and he stopped at the youngest. And there it is. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and laid at every man his donkey, and they returned to the city. Wow. You know, if there was anything left of the young men who had sold Joseph into slavery 20 years earlier, it would surface now, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine what they must have thought seeing that cup in Benjamin's sack? I mean, would they be furious, believing he took it? You know, would they accuse him? Would they believe his protest? When he's, I didn't do it. Or would they look upon him with loathing and leave him behind? Well, look at what happens. It says they tear their clothes. You know, of all the things that could have happened to them, this was the very worst thing. Benjamin would now be a slave forever in Egypt, and their anguish is clear. You ever tried to rip your clothes? When I was growing up, it's now, I think it's called the WWE, I don't ever watch it, but when I was growing up, it was the WWF, you know, and Hulk Hogan was the main guy, and of course, he came out every time, and he would tear his shirt, right, you know, and you know, so what do you try to do that as a kid, you know, and so you get your, you know, some ratty old t-shirt, you know, and it doesn't work, you know, you know, and then every once in a while, when no one's looking as an adult, you think, I'm going to try it now, and you know, I'm stronger, you know, and you know, still doesn't work, you know. It takes a lot of, I'm saying it, it takes a lot of emotion to rip your clothes. These guys are genuinely heartbroken about what's happened. And not only that, they refuse to abandon Benjamin. Benjamin's the only one who's guilty, according to the steward, and everybody else can go free. But they return back to Egypt with him. Now, we have to remember a couple of things here. See, I think sometimes we assume that Joseph knew his family would be happily together someday because of all those dreams, right? They're all bowing down to him. But really, those dreams are very simple. The dreams don't say anything about the family being happily together, the family all being in agreement and forgiveness and bygones being bygones and healing and restoration. None of that's promised in those dreams. They only said that his brothers would all bow down to him, and that has already happened. At this point, Joseph doesn't have any prophecy or dream to guide him. And so this final test accomplishes Joseph's purpose, really, however they respond. Because if the brothers abandon Benjamin and they go, you know what, bro? You did this to yourself. We're out of here. And then snicker to themselves. Yeah, all dad's favorite kids are gone. Now we don't have to listen to that nonsense anymore. But if that's the case, then Joseph, uh, Benjamin is escorted to Joseph. And now he's in his care, right? And he'll be safe. If they stand up for Benjamin, well, then he'll know they've changed. And then it'll be safe to reveal himself. Verse 14 and Judah and his brothers, they came to Joseph's house, for he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly divine? <laughs> Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold... We are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Now, here we see Judah leading the family, right? Reuben's the oldest. He's the one who's supposed to lead. But Judah is the one who's leading the family here. Remember, he's the one who's made himself surety for Benjamin, right? He told his dad. Dad, he said, my life. On my life, I will bring him back to you. And if I do not, then you hold me responsible. And so here he says, I am going to see through this to the very end. You want him, then you got to take us too because we're not going back home to our dad. Judas' confession in verse 16 is so powerful. I imagine as he's sitting there, and he's probably thinking, Lord, I didn't do anything wrong this time, but you know what? I don't need to have done anything wrong this time for this to happen to me. I've got a whole list of things. I'm sure that he thought of his betrayal of Joseph. I'm sure he thought of his treatment of Tamar. I'm sure he thought of every other wicked thing that he'd done. He may have been innocent of this crime, but he knew that God didn't owe him a thing. And so he says, why why even bother? How do I clear myself? My life isn't clear. Truly, his acquaintance with his sin stopped his mouth from professing any sense of innocence like we learned this morning. This is really where the the non-believer has the struggle. This is where they still fight with God. We ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? Ask it all the time. But the question is another logical fallacy because there's no good people. So it doesn't qualify as a valid question. You can't, why do bad things happen to good people? That's an improper question. You have to ask the question, why do bad things happen to bad people? I don't like it that way, but that's the point. God owes us nothing. And so the idea here is that even if Judah and his brothers were innocent, they had gotten away with a lot of other crimes that they did commit. And have you come to that place of confession in your life? We you recognize, Lord, you know, I look at what I'm going through right now, and I think, God, I don't deserve this. But the truth is, Lord, I know you don't owe me anything. I think it's healthy for all of us to understand that. You know, the Bible says we get angry. It says, be angry and sin not. Most of us get angry at sin, <laughs> Right. <laughs> And the Bible says why. I mean, it's so easy. It says you're angry because you want something and you can't have it. Anytime I'm angry, I, I always ask, I say, I say, okay, Lord, what is it that I want that I'm not getting? And He's really good at pointing it out. He'll say, well, you want this. And, and, and you know, of course, then you kind of do the dance with God, but that's a good thing, God. I mean, but I, want good, I want a good thing, but I'm not giving it to you right now. Like a child, we kick and stomp our feet inside. We're not happy because it's not what we want. We need to come to that place where we realize, I don't deserve anything. Everything God gives to me is just grace. It's just goodness. It's mercy. And when you start to look at those things, it's a lot easier to look at the thing that you really want and you can't have and to go, okay, Lord. Okay. (laughs) I'm cool with it. And to not be so uptight and stressed out and angry. That's how we be angry and not sin. We can be angry at things that we should be angry about, should be angry about all the wicked things that we see in the world, not angry because I can't get that new shirt I want. Joseph gives him a final opportunity to portray Benjamin in verse 17. He said to Judah, who makes this impassioned confession, and he says, we're your servants, man. And Judah says, no, God forbid. I would never, that would be not fair. God forbid that I should do so. But the man whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, go on home in peace unto your father. Wasn't that how they left Joseph when they sold him into slavery? Oh, they went on home fine. Oh, dad, you know, is is this, if you think it might belong to Joseph, like you didn't know whose outfit it was. They went home in perfect peace to dad, not worried about breaking his heart, not worried about what's happening to their own flesh and blood. Joseph gives him that opportunity now. You can cut ties with this guy and go home and you will have no reason to feel any blame at all. I wonder if Benjamin looked at them with fear or if he pled with them to not leave him alone. This is the final opportunity, the final test that Joseph offers. Here's their easy way out. They can have their lives back if they just abandon Benjamin like they abandoned him. But in verse 18 comes one of the most touching of all speeches in scripture, Judah, it says, came near unto Joseph. And that's not something you do. That'd be like the, you know, you're kind of all arrested and then you, you know, you know you're in the jail and the, the cops, you know, talking to you and berating you and you just kind of start walking forward. And it's like, what are the, you get tackled. I remember when I was at the high school, we had a young lady was screaming at one of our cashiers. And, and so I, I called over one of the assistant principals and she starts screaming and cussing at the assistant principal. And, and, uh, and so they get the cops involved because she's getting really, violent in her speech. And so the cop comes up and he says, lady, you need to, you know, young lady, you need to calm down. You know, we're going to have to do something here. And she's like, calm down. I'll show you calm down. And she swung at him. I tell you, I have never seen a person hit the floor as fast as that young girl did. He had her on the ground, wrapped up and totally incapacitated in a matter of a half a second. There was just, there was a line that she had crossed and now all that instant kicked in and boom, she was down. And it was one of those moments where I thought, I will never, ever, ever do that to a cop. (laughs) He comes forward. I mean, remember, they're all bowing. So he gets up, and he approaches this very high-ranking official. That's just not something you do with such a man in this position, especially when you're at odds with him. Judah is risking his life in this moment of asking for a private word. He comes near unto him, and he says, Oh, my Lord. Let my servant, I pray with you, speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let not your anger burn. He's expecting to die. Let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are even as Pharaoh. I know I don't have a right to approach you, but I'm begging you. Please hear me out. And Joseph gives him a chance. And so Judah says, My Lord, you, you asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, well, we have a father? an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother. And his father loves him. And you said unto your servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And so we said unto my Lord, Well, we can't do that. The lad cannot leave his father, for if we, he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said unto your servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it came to pass when we came up unto your servant, my father. We told him your words. And our father said, well, go back down and get more food. But we said, we can't go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then we will go down, for we may not see this man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. Do you realize what this means to us? So your servant, my father, said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons, And one went out for me, and I said, surely he is torn in pieces. I have not seen him since. And if you take this also from me, and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he sees the lad is not with us, that he will die. And your servant shall bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave." For your servant I became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, if I do not bring him unto you, back unto you, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, I pray you, let me, let me stay here instead of the lad. Let me be a slave, your slave, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad not be with me? Thus, peradventure, I see the evil that shall come in my father. H.C. Leopold said this is one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man. For depth of feeling and sincerity of purpose, it stands alone. That he would rather be a lonely save in Egypt, the life that he suggested, it was his idea for Joseph 20 years earlier. He would rather do that than see his father's heart broken once again. Shows a depth of repentance that is hard to comprehend. It brings to mind the words of Jesus, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Well, the test is over. The brothers have passed. But before we move to 45, I think it's so important that we understand that that's exactly what Jesus did for us, right? Right? let me take their place. Let me die in their stead. That's what God's love looks like. But God demonstrated his love. He commends his love towards us, Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Judah is a beautiful picture of Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let me ask you this. Is that kind of love in you? Most of us won't have to make a life or death decision like this, where we'll be slaves forever. But do you lay down your life for your spouse? For your children? For your brothers and sisters in Christ? For your co-workers? Do you put your well-being above their comfort? That's not love. See, God's love is a sacrificial love, and are you living that way? See, that's what the Bible says, that that's how they'll really know that, that we're different. You know, it's not because we make all these posts on Facebook to boycott various products that use the rainbow in their product. It's by the love that we have one for another. That's how people are going to see something different. They're going to go, yeah, but you don't know what, what, what he did to you. Yeah, but I forgive him. Yeah, but, but he hurt you. I know, but I forgive him. In Christ, for Christ's sake, as Christ has forgiven me, I forgive him. People won't get that. You know, in fact, they're not going to get that. I, I, it's so funny because, you know, you, you read all these, you see all these articles on social media and stuff because everybody's got an opinion about everything and everybody's an expert about everything these days. And one of the things we're seeing deteriorate is the idea of forgiveness in marriage. Seriously. I'm seeing articles that are posted by people who claim to be Christians who are talking about the idea of how dare you suggest that you be walked all over like that. You know, that you would forgive someone for what they've done to you and and, and stay in your marriage and forgive your spouse. Maybe I'm weird, but my Bible says if I don't forgive, he doesn't forgive. That's what my Bible says. And how could I dare say that what someone else has done cannot be forgiven and expect God to ever forgive me? As Christians, we don't have the option to not forgive. It's something that God calls us to do. Now, trust is a different thing, and that takes time to rebuild. I understand that. And there's not every situation, obviously, that can be worked out. Sometimes, because it takes two parties to work together and the other party's unwilling, there's nothing you can do about that. I understand But God's desire is that we forgive on our end, that we release all of that and let it go, just like he does with our sin. Now, you can't do that on your own, can you? It takes a God kind of love, right? But he can do it. Well, Joseph, he cannot control himself any further. Verse 1 of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself, couldn't control himself before all them that stood by him. And so he cried out or shouted, cause every man to go out for me. And so there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And he wept aloud. And then it gives us a little aside here, so much so that the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh could hear it. I don't know if you've ever had loud neighbors or maybe you've heard a fight or something like that. It's a little eerie, isn't it? You wonder if you should call the cops. You wonder if you you should go over there and get involved. I can't imagine that getting from Joseph's palace to another palace was an easy task as far as sound went and yet they heard it that's how loudly he wept now <laughs> if i'm if i'm the brothers i'm i'm probably a little bit you know weirded out right now i'm like What's he gonna do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you got this higher ranking Egyptian official. Everybody out except you guys, you know? And, and like, okay, what, what's going on now? And, you know, and he just starts weeping and you're like, this is the strangest day I've ever had. I kind of wonder how on earth he maintained control during Judah's speech. If you're Judah, you're probably seeing Joseph become emotionally agitated as you're talking. And you're probably thinking that as he opens his mouth and he shouts, you're thinking, that's it, I'm dead. He's just gonna kill me right here. But can you imagine what it was like for all of them to watch this? And had they, they probably thought they'd gone insane or there was a nightmare. You know, what's going to happen now? And into that confusion, Joseph just blurts out the reality. He says in verse 3 unto his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Now, you think this is a nightmare so far. You know, you wake up in the morning like, we're going to get to go home. And Simeon, it's good to have you back. And Benjamin, you're safe. I really thought this was going to go bad. And we're okay. And, you know, you kind of start marching off. And, you know, you're talking to your donkey. And everything's good. and, And then all of a sudden, it just starts going downhill really fast. And now, all of a sudden, as if it couldn 't get any worse, he looks up at you and goes, "I am joseph and you 're like we 're going to be torn into pieces. you know what I mean get you you know, thinking what this is the worst revelation that could have, you know could have been uh, made known to us? I wonder how long it took those words to even register. I wonder if Judah began to back away because they 'd verbalized their guilty conscience for selling him joseph he just says, is my dad really alive? I read that and I thought, you know, he's asked them like three times about how his dad's doing over the course of all the, stu- you know, all the times they've interacted. And now he asks them again. And I, and I think, why is he doing that? But then I have to remember what they did to him. You know, trust is not something that was probably easy for Joseph with these guys. Last time he was with them, they were not exactly very trustworthy. They ruined his life. And so even though he's forgiven them, there's still a massive gap. Have you been telling me the truth? I, you guys lie about everything, you know? Is he really okay? But they couldn't answer him. <laughs> For they were troubled at his presence. They were, the word they're troubled means to be so terrified you can't think clearly. You ever been there? So scared you can't, you're just frozen. And that's how they are. And I cannot understand that. Because seeing Joseph like that must have been like seeing the grim reaper. This was worse than any nightmare their guilt could conjure up. It was like the last 20 years of their lives have been sucked into a vortex and they've been transported back to that pit they threw them into, except they're the ones in the pit now. And he holds their destiny in his hands. And seeing that pain and guilt surface, Joseph realizes he can't come at him like that. He's got to let his guard down. He has to speak reassuringly to them. He has to take a chance that they've changed toward him too, that they really regret what they had done. And so Joseph says unto his brothers, Come near unto me. Remember, they outnumber him 11 to 1. If one of them says, We need to kill him and get out of here, that's the only way we're going to get out of here safely. But he's come near unto me. I pray you, I beg you, is what that means, please. And they came near. And he said unto them, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You heard it right. I am Joseph your brother, who sold you into Egypt. But now, therefore, be not grieved. The word there means to be worried or stressed out. I imagine they were. Don't be worried, nor be angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. I imagine as he said, "Come near." That was hard for them to come near. It was probably hard for them to look him in the eyes. Has your guilt ever been so overwhelming that you would even grow violent towards yourself? That's what that word "angry" there means. Don't be violent towards yourself. Don't be tearing yourself up inside for this. He tells him to stop because he says it was a part of God's plan that sent me here.
0: Forgiveness is always a choice. It says in Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. This means as we choose to do something, the heart for that task will come in time. All it takes is obedience. God has called us to forgive. Even if it's hard, even if it hurts. We must choose to forgive just as God Himself forgave us. Should you have questions about anything or would like prayer concerning today's message, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando.